You're listening to Audio Divina for Good Friday. In this episode, we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 42. We begin now with a reading of the text by Jennifer and Chris. After he had said all this, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden into which he went with his disciples. Judas the traitor knew the place also, since Jesus had often met his disciples there. So Judas brought the cohort to this place, together with guards sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees, all with lanterns and torches and weapons. Knowing everything that was to happen to him, Jesus came forward and said, Who are you looking for? They answered, Jesus the Nazarene. He said, I am he. Now Judas the traitor was standing among them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they moved back and fell on the ground. He asked them a second time, Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus replied, I have told you that I am he. If I am the one you are looking for, let these others go. This was to fulfill the words he had spoken, Not one of those you gave me have I lost. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back in its scabbard. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? The cohort and its tribune and the Jewish guards seized Jesus and bound him. They took him first to Annas, because Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had counseled the Jews. It is better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter, with another disciple, followed Jesus. This disciple, who was known to the high priest, went with Jesus into the high priest's palace, but Peter stayed outside the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the doorkeeper, and brought Peter in. The girl on duty at the door said to Peter, Aren't you another of that man's disciples? He answered, I am not. Now it was cold, and the servants and guards had lit a charcoal fire and were standing there warming themselves. So Peter stood there too, warming himself with the others. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly for all the world to hear. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews meet together. I have said nothing in secret. Why ask me? Ask my hearers what I taught. They know what I said. At these words, one of the guards standing by gave Jesus a slap in the face, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus replied, If there is some offense in what I have said, point it out. But if not, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood there warming himself, someone said to him, Aren't you another of his disciples? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relation of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at once a cock crowed. They then led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the praetorium. It was now morning. 
They did not go into the praetorium themselves to avoid becoming defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came outside to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They replied, If he were not a criminal, we should not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and try him by your own law. The Jews answered, We are not allowed to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the way he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and called Jesus to him and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Do you ask this on your own accord, or have others said it to tell you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Is it your own people and the chief priests who have handed you over to me? What have you done? Jesus replied, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not belong here. Pilate said, So then you are a king. Jesus answered, It is you who say that I am a king. I was born for this. I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. Truth, said Pilate. What is that? And so saying, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no case against him. But according to a custom of yours, I should release one prisoner at the Passover. Would you like me then to release for you the king of the Jews? At this they shouted, Not this man, they said, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a bandit. Pilate then had Jesus taken away and scourged. And after this, the soldiers twisted some thorns into a crown and put it on his head and dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapping him in the face. Pilate came outside again and said to them, Look, I am going to bring him out to you to let you see that I find no case against him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said, Here is the man. When they saw him, the chief priests and the guards shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews replied, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to be put to death, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard them say this, his fears increased. Re-entering the praetorium, he said to Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus made no answer. Pilate then said to him, Are you refusing to speak to me? Surely you know I have power to release you, and I have power to crucify you. Jesus replied, You would have no power over me at all if it had not been given you from above. That is why the man who handed me over to you has the greater guilt. From that moment, Pilate was anxious to set him free. But the Jews shouted, If you set him free, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who makes himself king is defying Caesar. Hearing these words, Pilate had Jesus brought out and seated him on the chair of judgment at a place called the pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, said Pilate to the Jews. But they shouted, 
Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king except Caesar. So at that, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. They then took charge of Jesus, and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, or, as it is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him with two others, one on either side, Jesus being in the middle. Pilate wrote out a notice and had it fixed to the cross. It ran, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. This notice was read by many of the Jews, because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the writing was in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the Jewish chief priest said to Pilate, You should not write, King of the Jews, but that the man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had finished crucifying Jesus, they took his clothing and divided it into four shares, one for each soldier. His undergarment was seamless, woven in one piece from neck to hem. So they said to one another, Instead of tearing it, let's throw dice to decide who is to have it. In this way, the words of Scripture were fulfilled. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. This is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. Seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near her, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Then to the disciple he said, This is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, Jesus knew that everything had now been completed, and so that the scripture should be completely fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So, putting a sponge soaked in the wine on a hyssop stick, they held it up to his mouth. After Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is fulfilled. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and to avoid the bodies remaining on the cross during the Sabbath, since that Sabbath was a day of special solemnity, the Jews asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken away. Consequently, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man, who had been crucified with him, and then of the other. When they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and so instead of breaking his legs, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance, and immediately there came out blood and water. This is the evidence of one who saw it, true evidence, and he knows that what he says is true, and he gives it so that you may believe as well. Because all this has happened to fulfill the words of Scripture, not one bone of his will be broken. And again, in another place, Scripture says, they will look to the one whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because he was afraid of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him remove the body of Jesus. Pilate gave permission, so they came and took it away. Nicodemus came as well, the same one who had first come to Jesus at nighttime, and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 
weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, following the Jewish burial custom. At the place where he had been crucified, there was a garden, and in this garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been buried. Since it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. In the Gospel of John, we have quite a unique vision of the cross. We generally see it as Jesus' lowest moment, but for John, in terms of Jesus' human experience, it is his highest moment. As we read in the Gospel on the foot washing, this was the moment when he showed his love for his own unto the end not only to the end of time, but to the most supreme fashion in the most supreme way of loving. Once again, the narrative is made up of a series of different blocks of material. The reading of the Gospel of John shows that there are five major sections. In the first section, Jesus is in a garden. The second is the report of the Jewish hearing of Jesus. It's not really a trial because he's not condemned or anything like that, as he is in the Synoptic Gospels. In the third and central and major longest section, we have the trial, a genuine trial, in front of the Roman authorities, with Pilate being the major figure. The fourth section is the story of the cross. And finally, Going back to where we began, in the final section, the burial of Jesus is explicitly identified with Jesus being buried in a garden. So it begins in a garden, it ends in a garden. And in between we have the Jewish hearing, the Roman hearing, and the cross. It's impossible for us, of course, to go into every detail, but let me give you some overall impressions that you need to keep in mind as you reflect upon this beautiful narrative. In the first passage, Jesus goes with his disciples to a garden. There's nothing of the Garden of Gethsemane. There's no agonizing prayer of Jesus asking that the Father take the chalice off him. In the garden, Judas, the betrayer, comes with Roman authorities carrying lights. They come for the light in the world, bringing lights with them. And Jesus is in command of the situation. He steps forth and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, to which he responds, I am he. And they all fall to the ground. The story only continues because Jesus says, who were you looking for? And they repeat Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he, but let these people go. So the disciples must be set free because this is the story of the end of Jesus' life, but the beginning of the life of discipleship, which we have in the church. And so Jesus is arrested and we come to the second scene, the Jewish hearing. Now this again is unique to John using the same basic story that we know from across all the Gospels, but John writes it in a special way. There are three scenes. In the first scene, 
Peter denies Jesus. In the middle scene, Jesus is asked about his disciples and his teaching. And in the third scene, John goes back to Peter, wherein Peter denies Jesus a second and a third time. What John is trying to do by shaping his story in this way is to point out in the first Peter scene that in his denying of Jesus, Peter draws close to the powers of darkness. In the third scene, Peter draws even closer by denying Jesus with an oath in the end, absolute swearing that he does not know Jesus. So we have a disciple denying his knowledge of Jesus. In the middle, Jesus is asked by the Jewish authorities about his disciples and his teaching. And he responds to them that he has taught them in the synagogues and he's spoken openly in the temples and in the open places. They are now to ask those who have heard him. They know what he said. This is a reference to his followers. So the word of God that began in Jesus has been passed on to those who heard him. Ask them, they know. But we hear Peter outside denying him. Now this is a very powerful presentation of the reality of the church. Jesus has passed on the word to the church, incarnated in Peter, who is denying knowledge of Jesus. So this story tells us of the ambiguity of the community that was founded by Jesus. Whether Peter fails or whether he doesn't fail, whether we fail or whether we don't fail, we have in fact been given the word of God by Jesus. Ask those who have heard him. We have heard him. Are we going to join Peter in our denials or will we be solid witnesses to what we have heard? The third scene is quite complex. It's long and after the Jews bring Jesus to the Roman authorities, you have a series of scenes, nine of them in fact, some of which are inside the praetorium, some of which are outside the praetorium, and they alternate inside, outside, inside, outside. And if you listen carefully as the gospel is proclaimed, you will hear that every time it's outside, the people that we keep calling the Jews raise accusations against Jesus or take a stance against him. Now it is important for us, particularly as we read the gospel of John, to recognize that the Jews are not the people that is the race of the Jews. In John, this means the people who have shut their minds and hearts once and for all to the possibility that God is to be found in the revelation of Jesus. That is not to do with a race. That's to do with an attitude of heart and mind to what God is doing in and through Jesus. We can all be in inverted commas, the Jews. They are characters in Jesus' story who reject what God is doing. They do not represent the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. All the disciples are Jews. Mary is a Jew. So it is a statement about a rejection in faith of what Jesus is offering. So every time Pilate says a positive thing about Jesus, they reject it. Then Pilate goes inside and talks to Jesus, interrogates Jesus, asks questions of him. 
And slowly, in each one of these moments, Pilate becomes more and more susceptible to who Jesus is and what he's doing. And by the time you get to the final of these scenes, Pilate accepts that Jesus is a king and brings him out in front of the Jews and proclaims to them, here is your king. This is what we call irony. At one hand, Jesus is being condemned to death. But on the other, Pilate is proclaiming the truth. And the indication of this proclamation of the truth in the Pilate scene happens in the very central scene, which is found at the beginning of John 19, where Jesus is proclaimed as the king of the Jews by the soldiers who torment him. They dress him in a purple robe and they crown him with a crown. So ironically, Jesus is dressed as a king and crowned as a king. And when he goes out to the people the next time, Pilate says, behold the man, behold the man. This picks up a term that's been used across the whole of the gospel where Jesus has spoken about himself as the son of man. And in chapter 8 of the gospel, Jesus has already foretold this moment when he said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And so when Pilate says to the crowds, behold the man, the son of man, they say, lift him up, crucify him. And so the prophecy of 828 is fulfilled. So Jesus will be a lifted up son of man and in this way exercises his kingship. So the story is of the passion, but the message is of the fact that Jesus exercised his royalty on the cross. At the end of the trial before Pilate, they take him off to crucify him. So the cross scene, our fourth scene, follows. The cross scene is also carefully spelt out. First of all, the Jews in inverted commas don't like the sign on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. And that is, of course, because it is true. The next scene is the account of the clothing of Jesus, the inner tunic that cannot be torn apart a symbol of the community that Jesus is about to form that will not be torn apart, even in the hands of his enemies. The central scene is the beautiful scene so famous in Catholic paintings and statues of the mother and the son. But Jesus creates a new family of God. Jesus creates a new family in which the mother becomes the mother of the beloved disciple and the beloved disciple becomes the son of the mother. A new family is created, and from that hour, he took her to his own home. A new home is created, a household, and the household is made up of the mother of Jesus and disciples. Not only is this about the church, as the scene with Peter denying Jesus was about the church, but in a negative sense, here we have this beautifully positive sense of a church founded at the command of Jesus from his throne on the cross and the relationship of the mother of Jesus to the disciple in that scene is the relationship of mother-son. Mary becomes the mother of the church at the cross of Jesus. The third scene at the cross is Jesus' death. 
knowing everything that's come to an end and the scriptures have been fulfilled, bows his head and he gives up the spirit, saying, it has been perfected. I have done it. I have brought it to perfection. That's the last word of Jesus. I've done it. I've done what I was asked to do. You remember in John 13, it said he loved them to the end. This is the end. I've done it. And the text says in Greek that he gave down the spirit. If you read the text in the Bible, it'll say he gave up the spirit. But the original Greek says he gave down the spirit. As Jesus dies, he pours down the spirit on this new little church at the foot of the cross, the disciple and his mother. And then they pierce his side and water and blood throw from the side. And this, of course, are symbols of the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism, which are also given to the church at the cross. And that's why the scene at the cross ends with the words of the storyteller of John himself saying, and they shall gaze upon him whom they have pierced. We gaze upon the crucified Jesus to see the source of God's love for us manifested not only in Jesus, but now in the church, full of the Spirit, with the sacraments of baptism and Eucharist. And in the final scene, we are back in a garden. As in the first garden scene, as the Passion story opened, Jesus was arrested by his enemies. In the final garden scene, two hidden disciples, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, now that the church has been founded, Come forth, go to Pilate, and ask to have the body of the crucified Jesus. So the church is now public, and they ask for the body of Jesus, and they are granted the body of Jesus, and they bury him with an enormous amount of ointments. In fact, only kings are buried in this way. So Jesus was recognized as a king by Pilate. He's crucified as a king. He acts as a king, and he is buried as a king. And so in this account, we see this amazing telling of the passion of Jesus in a way that's entirely different from what we normally understand the cross story to be. And so on Good Friday, as we have this solemn liturgy really touching upon the suffering of Jesus, the Gospel of John cries out that this suffering is not only suffering. It is also the lifting up the exaltation, the glorification of God's Son, who is our King, who founded our church, who gave us the Spirit and gave us the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism that nourishes us as we journey through our Christian life. This concludes the Good Friday episode. We invite you to keep reflecting on the Gospels as we continue our Holy Week journey tomorrow with a reading on Holy Saturday.